and thank you for taking time out to listen to this podcast. As part of our brand is exploring medical conundrums and niche areas of healthcare, we will be trying our best to understand the life of different healthcare professionals. We will try to navigate this complex profession by asking a variety of intriguing and perceptive questions to many professionals who can show you what healthcare really means. That being said, let's introduce our guest for today, who is Dr. Marcelo, a professor at the National University of Singapore. Dr. Marcelo, thank you for joining us and taking time out of your day to educate us. Please feel free to introduce yourself and your profession. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. Mm-hmm. My name is Marcelo Ang. I'm a professor in the National University of Singapore in the Department of Mechanical Engineering. My research is in robotics. Ever since I was in the university, growing in the Philippines, I've been very interested in technology and gadgets and how things work. And I sort of hesitate to throw things away. Right? I like to fix them and to save them. It's such a waste to throw maybe just some small little part is not working. I graduated in uh, 1981 in a university in the Philippines, the La Salle University in Philippines in mechanical engineering department and also industrial systems and management engineering. So I got a double degree. After that, I worked for Intel Corporation in Manila, Philippines. Intel is where they make the chips, right? And memory. And that has, the work in Intel has uh, sort of encouraged my interest in how to apply what I've been doing as a hobby to work, to improve the manufacturing yield, so that minimize the defects and improve the productivity and the manufacturing process. So after Intel, I left uh, Philippines and went to Hawaii to pursue a master's in mechanical engineering, University of Hawaii in the United States, where uh, my interest in robotics became really mainstream. Huh? I work on uh, robotics for harvesting sugar canes. Right, because Hawaii, the sugarcane industry is one of the major industries. And after that, I spent some time in MIT to work in a manufacturing productivity lab. Then after that, uh, went to University of Rochester in upstate New York to pursue a PhD in electrical engineering. And that's where I get my degree. So I have background is mechanical, then a doctorate, a master's in mechanical too in Hawaii and a doctorate in electrical engineering from University of Rochester because my interest is in robotics. Uh, Sometimes it's in mechanical more, sometimes more in electrical, sometimes in computer science. So I taught in the University of Rochester as assistant professor for one year. Then I came back to Asia, to Singapore in 1989, where I am now a professor. All right, so I came to Singapore really with the objective of really accelerating technology development, specifically in robotics, to make life better for everybody. Residents in Singapore, but perhaps everybody in the world. So I've been there, I've been here in National University of Singapore since 1989. So that's briefly about me. So we can start, do you want to ask your first question? Yeah. Uh, Could you share a bit about your personal interests, like your hobbies? Right, right. So um, when I worked in Intel, I was introduced, that was 1981 or 82, I think, something along those lines, to the first personal computer in the world, the IBM PC, right? So I became very interested in how computers can be linked to machines and gadgets to make them perform better. 
And uh, so I remember I use a program called Visicalc. Do you, do you remember Visicalc? <laughs> no, maybe not. Uh, it became Lotus123. Do you remember Lotus123? No, okay. Yeah. Maybe then after that, it became Excel, Microsoft Excel. Visicalc uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> is the first spreadsheet. So I, I became, so it's so nice, right? Because you don't need really to program it, right? Because before the software such as Visical or PC, we have to write uh, computer programs and run it on mainframe. These are big computers, right? That's before your time. And uh, we, we wrote the program using punch cards huh? <coughs> then submit it to uh, big computers as batch jobs. So I became interested in computing, in how we can use this to control machine. And that really sparked my interest in robotics, right? That's why I left Intel and went to Hawaii to do a robotics project for harvesting sugarcane, right? Um, so then uh, that's really sort of the start, the accelerated start, I guess. And I've been doing uh, projects in robotics, learning new things up to today, right? Uh, I believe that uh, robotics will be more impactful than computers, right? Everybody carries a handphone. Maybe in the future, everybody will have a robotic assistant with you, right? To help you in your everyday life. It's like IT, social media, emails, everything, but embodied. Embodied means physically there's a person, right? The computer has moving legs and moving arms to help you in your daily life. So, so that um, came, that sort of sparked my interest up to today. So when did I become a researcher? For example, why did I want to research, right? Because um, I always believe that you can continuously improve things, right? Um, so I'm uh, right from young, I am very, as I said, I'm very interested in uh, how things work. Uh, if something broke, how to fix it without throwing it away. In a way, that's also some part of research, right? Understanding how things work. But then the next part of research is with that understanding, maybe we shouldn't be satisfied. Maybe there's a better way of doing things, right? So I sort of added that, right? Is there a way to improve it, right? So, and that's what research is all about, understanding how things work and using that understanding to improve how they work and to make it better, right? Yeah, so mm -hmm. so that's, I'm doing that up to now, yeah. Mm. Well, so, okay, um, I wanted to ask like right now, do you focus more on your teaching at NUS or your mm. research work? Uh, I, I do both uh, because I enjoy teaching too. Um, but mm -hmm. I would perhaps if you look at a typical uh, time, maybe more is done on research than teaching, right? But maybe 60, 40 or 70, 30, 70% 70 research, 30% uh, teaching, right? But then it's mm -hmm. a gray line, right? What does teaching mean, right? Uh, teaching or it's, it's really classes, right? Formal teaching, but it can also be when I talk to my students, right? Um, brainstorming idea in a way that's also teaching right yeah so mm -hmm. if you add that 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 can be maybe more more teaching also right rather than the slow low 30 percent right? yeah mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. uh, it's important to 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 uh, link teaching and research because in my classes I like to really uh, discuss or explain what is the current state of the technology what robots can do what intelligence can do now and link it to fundamentals why we learn this and this is what we know now and this is what we're trying to improve on right so there so i think to to do a good to be a good teacher you must be a good researcher too right so you can have uh, always state-of-the-art uh, topics in your teaching at the same time, to be a good researcher, you should be a good teacher too. Right? So you should yeah. be able to explain and brainstorm because once you explain things, the understanding, the, the discourse, right? the question and answer um, discussion can lead both parties of new ideas. Right? Yeah. Mm, that's an interesting point of view. Yeah. Do you share what you typically do in a day, like how your working hours? Yeah, um, the nice thing about being an academic is we have what we call academic freedom, right? Although officially the university has office hours, 8.30 to 6, where the offices are open uh, uh, to student affairs, uh, the finance office, the lab. But the labs are open 7.24, right? Uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So. So typically, it's uh, there's no really fixed schedule. So I, I, I typically in a day I have a lot of meetings. Yeah, so something like this. Uh, meetings can be something like a talk, talking to people. Uh, sometimes I give I, I give many talks all the time. I gave a talk uh, recently to your group too. Um, mm -hmm. So it depends on the day schedule, right? Meetings, talks. Meet meetings with students, specific students, one-on-one -on -one meeting, and then also meetings with groups of students, uh, all doing research. Because I divide my robotics group into three subgroups. One is on autonomous vehicles on land. Another one is autonomous vehicles underwater on the sea, and another one on manipulation, where the, there are arms doing some things, right? So I, rather than meeting each student one by one, because I have many students doing master's or PhD, I meet them, meet them regularly like once every two weeks, sometimes once every week, but at least once a month as a group. So meetings, plus finally, the if I have classes to teach, of course, those are fixed schedule, right? So that are regularly, like for example, starting uh, second week of August, I teach robotics every Thursday and Friday, two hours each in the afternoon. Right? So the other part is not fixed schedule, it's up to me. So it includes also the weekends, right? And in include also uh, evenings, because sometimes my meetings are with overseas, many times actually, because I'm involved in many international uh, technical communities overseas too. Uh, like in, yeah, so I will have meetings midnight and it will be daytime in the East Coast in the United States, for example, right? So typically the times there, if it's overseas, it's usually 9 p.m. to 12 midnight in Singapore time. So um, when you do have some free time, what, what, do, what do you usually do? Oh, I like uh, to really learn new things. So I like cooking. <laughs> oh. and I learned how to cook from YouTube. 
Mm-hmm. And I and yeah. I like to fix things too. For example, right? Uh, yeah. For example, how to dismantle an air conditioner to fix it. For example, mm-hmm. to clean it, to do chemical. Work. So I learned a lot from YouTube, right? I like watching movies too. So I I really like uh, and shows. Right? I really mm-hmm. like the shows in Netflix, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I it's very interesting, right? It's a nice uh, entertainment for me. Yeah. So uh, either watching YouTube to learn things, watching movies or series, you know, those, those long series yeah. episodes yeah. Uh, in Netflix. I like them too. I especially like the Korean dramas. <laughs> yeah, because, oh. uh, because the Korean shows, even the movies, they have some moral or some, uh, some idea about life. Uh, so I, mm-hmm. I, I can associate to them very nicely. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I do, you know, typically, yeah. yeah. And in those times when I do those things, like watch movie, I like to watch with my family, right? So I think it's fun to watch together. But mm-hmm. my kids are all, have their own life, so they don't, so I just watch with my wife. <laughs> uh-huh. How old are your kids? Uh, they're 38, 24, and 22. No longer kids, actually, yeah. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I have three boys, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so after I, um, heard, I, was in, I was in a lecture um, in May, I actually went back home and I, I read some of the articles that you have published, like the one on brain-controlled wheelchairs and using LiDAR for vehicle control. So we have some questions about research work in general and okay. then that focus on those papers. Okay. So first... What I want to know is when, you know, when you're doing some research, mm-hmm. you know, there's, um, your experiment might fail sometimes or a robot right. might not work. Right. So like, how have you ever gone through such a time and how did you overcome this obstacle? Yes, uh, very common. That's certainly common, right? Um, if it doesn't work, you have to understand why it does not work. Try your best. Right. I think the closest analogy to this is when you're doing a programming, writing code, right? And mm-hmm. you write a code, the output is not exactly what you expect, right? Uh, or it's there, I'm sure there's some there's a bug, what people call, right? And the bug and it's so hard to find that bug. But but it it it's just uh, and it's common, right? So how do you solve that, right? It's patience, right? You just have to keep looking at it. <laughs> Don't give mm-hmm. up, persevere, yeah. right? Like in a computer program, you do one by one. Each statement you see, right? And after this statement, you do it. And um, it, 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 you see, when you write a computer program, it's not, that means you know how to do it even without the computer. Right? You do it using pencil and paper. You do step by step, but you just use the computer to make it faster. Right? Mm-hmm. So if the computer program doesn't work the way you want it, that means either there's something wrong with your step-by-step procedure, but chances are it's not. That what's wrong is how you translated your step-by-step logical procedure into, my, into a programming language. Right? So you have to do one by one. Just persevere. And once you find a bug, then it's really a satisfying feeling. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and something like this. 
Now, but that's writing programs. Well, research is not all about writing programs only. It's like uh, how, how to do things, right? Uh, how, how to do, for example, right today, uh, it's one very uh, a big problem in robotics today. How do you teach a robot, for example, to open a door? Right now, how do you do that? Uh, we can always program it, think about it as the step by step. You first lift up the robot hand, approach the door, and do you turn? Do you push? We can do step by step procedure, right? But then it, it, it's very hard, right? Yeah. Maybe you, if you do that, it will open door type A. But if you give it a door type B, it won't be able to open it anymore, right? Then you begin to think, how come humans know how to do that? Nobody teaches you a step-by-step -step procedure. For example, to open a door, you don't follow a flowchart, right? You just look at the door and open it. Then you look at these things in life that you do. You try to understand how it is and try really hard, right? And see, perhaps the reason we do it, we don't do step-by-step -step procedure, but we learn from experience. And that's, what, uh, that's why there's a lot of interest today in machine learning or deep learning, right? It's learning from experience. So, so once going back to the, your original question is you get stuck. That's normal. You try to understand why you get stuck and try to think what, what, what is, how does it really work, right? Yeah. And from there, if you do patience, like it's like debugging a code, right? You keep thinking about it. The answer will come out, yeah, eventually. Right. And sometimes you think about it so much that when you sleep, you dream of the solution subconscious. <laughs> and somehow in the next morning, you somehow got the answer, although you don't know how you got it. Right. I'm sure you have experienced, you may have experienced something like this. You're solving a mathematics or mechanics question. You're trying a problem, a homework, but you don't know how to solve it. You slip it, slip it off. The next morning you can solve it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How come? Like something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah, that's good. So how you why we experience that? That means it's always in your mind, right? That's why when mm -hmm. you sleep, it's always there. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you're doing research, you know, some it's not like always that you're doing it alone. You're with a team. Right. And so what do you think makes a good research work? even though maybe the outcome is not what you wanted, mm -hmm. how, what makes it a good research work? Well, it must, the first, the most important is the problem statement, right? What mm. is the research trying to address? What, or what problem is it trying to solve, right? Yeah. Um, now, if you go details in robotics, I already, I think in my talk, you remember the Ds of robotics, right? Uh, the, the dangerous, dirty, demeaning, degrading, uh, task, right, for example. Mm -hmm. So problem yeah. statement, right? What is it? Once you have the problem statement narrowed down, a good research work, right, whether it's by a team or by a person, right, must have a good review of the possible solutions or the attempts, all the attempts to solve the problem you've identified, right? So it's very important because it, we're, students are, especially students, very, sometimes very impatient. Once you have the problem, you try to solve it already. 
without studying uh, how other people try to solve it. Right? I think uh, the review of literature or related work is very important. Right? And you must understand that. And at the same time, while doing that, don't be biased towards those methods. Right? Yeah. In other words, you always have to have a sort of an, an open mind that they're, they're, uh, the, the danger of reviewing, you will be influenced. The mind will be so biased towards the direction what people have done, and the mind won't have time to understand new things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but that is, I can understand that logic, but I don't quite believe that because I think our brain has immense capacity. You know, we, studies have shown that we're only using maybe 20%, 30% of our brain, right? So even mm -hmm. if you get an accident or a stroke, you can relearn new things, right? That means you use some part of the brain died, but there are other parts that can learn new things, right? So it's okay. So second is review. First problem, second is review what people have done. As you're reviewing, you can always come up with, oh, why did they do it that way? Maybe there's a better way to do it. So you can have improvements. And at the same time, devote some quality time for you to think independently without being influenced by other people. Now, when mm -hmm. you do this as a person individually, that's good. But then, but then when you do it as a group, that's much better. What I mean is you do it, prepare, but then later on you meet each other. Let's say that group of three or four, we all think of the same problems, think, reviewing what everybody has done, then we get together. So what do we do? We share what we have learned, what we have, what new things we think will be new improvements. And as you talk to people more, right, you will bounce ideas with each other. Then more new ideas will come up as a group. It doesn't come up because of you alone, because you, all of you are talking to each other, interacting, right? So, so that's where the teamwork happens, right? And mm -hmm. so sometimes this teamwork can be, uh, encouraged from a bottom up. What I mean is it doesn't, um, it's really nice to have students to be physically in the same lab. They may be doing different projects, right? But the fact they're beside each other, they will talk, right? And they will talk about each other's project and talking about each other's project, they may not belong to the same group, but talking to each other's project may create new ideas that is sort of out of the boundaries of what you have been doing, right? Yeah, so that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the key elements, if I summarize, good problem statement, good review of works, and then communications, yeah? talking to mm -hmm. each other, discussion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree with you on those. Yeah. yeah okay. Good. So I think it is. Uh, yeah. So if we let's move on to some uh, questions about mm -hmm. the research that you have done. Mm -hmm. Um. So just to begin with, for the audience that may not really know much about this, could you just explain the connection between neural networks and robotics? Okay, it's, it's a very uh, important connection. And this connection perhaps is the holy grail of robotics. When I, what I mean by that is, why are robots not in everyday life? They're only in factories, right? Perhaps mm -hmm. because the brain of the robot 
is, is, is different. It's in factory, they follow a flow chart, right? To do this, you, it's like a cookbook to learn a recipe. Yeah, you don't really need to be intelligent, right? You just need to know how to read the re read English, right? A flow chart. <laughs> Step one, do yeah. this, beat the egg, uh, get, get this, chop the meat this way, and wait 20 minutes like this, right? So that has been working in factories. But then in everyday life, like the robot opening a door or robot cooking for you, for example, you cannot really follow a flow chart right? because there's no flow chart, right? So, but the fact humans are doing that, that means there must be something else that's not a flow chart, right? And what else is there, right? We look at our brain, right? So the brain is a bunch of neurons connected. So maybe that's the key, right? We have a network of neurons connected, simulated in a computer, and perhaps that is a way to provide intelligence to the robot. So the bridge, the link is to provide intelligence to the robot that is true intelligence. In other words, it doesn't, the neural network doesn't give a flowchart, doesn't give a cookbook, a recipe, but it, it allows the machine, the robot to have capabilities, right? that you cannot break it down into step one, step two, step three, step four. A clear example of that is uh, how do you get a robot to understand, to recognize human beings that this is a male, this is a female species, two kinds of gender, male and female. Although today that is grayer also sometimes, but let's say mm -hmm. male and female, right? Can you break it down into a flow chart? No, right? Yeah. And how do we know whether somebody is a male or female? I don't know how I know, but I just know, right? Yeah. But then if you describe it, if you ask somebody, what makes a person female? Then you can sort of backtrack. You know it's a female and you try to justify. Oh, smooth skin, long hair, etc. But you don't go that, the other way, right? right? So, and that's happening in our neural network, in our brain, right? And uh, I, my feeling is how we know it's not from a floor chart because once upon a time, when I opened my eyes, I saw mommy and I saw daddy and somebody just keep calling, this is mommy, this is daddy, this is brother, this is sister. Then I begin the brain somehow associates, right? That there are two kinds of people, right? And that is the neural network learning, learning the essence of what makes a person female and male. So the connection is to give the robot this capability, right? To learn from experience, to learn in a non-flowchart type way. And if we do that, if we solve that problem, then we can see robots outside the factory as part of our everyday life. So it's really the intelligence for the robot. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so like we mentioned before that we've read some of your articles and it's it's fascinating stuff. Like we've seen that you've worked on developing wheelchairs that can be mm. controlled by brains. Mm. And I'm sure this has various, you know, applications. So could you right. just go through the experience, you know, the research behind it, the process, mm. the system you've developed or, you know, the challenges mm. you've faced for our mm. audience? Yeah, for example, uh, it all varies depending on the problem statement, right? But they're all in the realm of robotics, right? Uh, maybe I start in the general realm, realm of robotics. There are four things happening in any robotic system. 
Number one is sensing, understanding the environment. Number two, planning what to do. Number three, executing the plan. And number four is learning from it, right? So all like this, right? Everything. Now, given this, humans also do that. All machines do that, but to different levels of complexity or intelligence, right? Now, in the brain control wheelchair, for example, people who have are physically challenged, for example, cannot walk, they need a wheelchair. So that's very clear. Then we begin to, then if you think about what if uh, people, uh, you have a wheelchair, but then they cannot really, they're not only physically challenged, they cannot move at all. They're called lock-in patients. Lock-in patients means you cannot even move your eyes. Yeah, you cannot even move your limbs. You cannot even operate a joystick. You're really like completely paralyzed, but your brain is very active. So then, then that sort of motivates the research, right? the problem statement. How can we have robotics help this kind of people, right? So the only way is since they cannot move, they cannot use a joystick, they cannot move their eyes because sometimes if you can move your eyes, you can use, you can track what the eye is looking at and that can give a signal. But let's say you cannot move the eyes. So the only way is to read the brain, right? That, that's why we work on the brain control wheelchair. Now, then you have this problem say, okay, good. Then, then the first question among these four is sensing, right? For example, how does the human tell the wheelchair go forward, stop, turn right, and turn left, right? It's very hard. So because, yeah, that's the only way is to read the brain, right? Yeah, so that's in the sensor. So we developed some algorithms, yeah, that can detect the, uh, that can process electrical signals from the brain, very small electrical signals. I don't know if you saw the diagrams in the papers and some videos in YouTube too, where the patient or the person wears a, like a cap, like a single yeah. cap with many electrodes, right? So it's non-invasive because I didn't want to drill holes in the brain right? <laughs> to measure the signals because now you can buy products. Uh, I guess you can search the internet. It's something like the cap, but you don't, it, it's cooler, right? It's, it's like a hat that can read electrical signals in your brain. I don't know if you have been to the science center in Singapore. One time they have an exhibit on that. You know? Two people uh, across the table, you just look at each other and you control a ball in front of you to go near you, right? <laughs> it, it, it reads some brain waves, right? So we, we use that signal. So we try mm -hmm. to do that. Then we see, okay, fine. You can read that, but how do you detect? Uh, is that good enough, right? Well, brain waves is just random signals of, of brain activity. But how do you know that means I want to turn left, I want to stop, I want to go up, right? So it's very hard. So we thought of, uh, then you think, uh, we have this problem, then you think of how, how, will you, how will you know, right? So you think about, you observe life, you observe, then come up with a way how to do this, right? Then we thought of, okay, these brain signals are very, noisy so we use uh, what we call an oddball paradigm right an oddball paradigm means like you're playing bingo right uh let's say you're waiting you're waiting for number 66 to come up it's like 65 oh it's not 68 oh not but 66 bingo right you call bingo so perhaps we can use that uh, one people catch it when you catch people's attention the brain signals will spike right 
So then maybe that's a way to get a, get a response from, from the patients, from the people we want to serve. So what we did is we divided the room or the house of the person, for example, into nine places, like a tic-tac-toe uh, uh, game, right? Uh, three by three. And there are nine locations, for example, uh, kitchen, bedroom, living room, toilet, etc. right? So we have nine positions. We flash it in front of a laptop, <laughs> in the laptop screen, I mean, in front of the patient or the person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the computer program flashes these nine boxes randomly, right? Uh, and we control the flashing, right? Now, if I want to go to the toilet and the toilet box flashes, then it triggers a response, right? So that's how I know the person wants to go to the toilet and the wheelchair goes to the toilet, right? So that's how, how we do it. So. That's one example. <laughs> and then we try experiments to see how accurate it can be using this method. Right. Um, so then we build a machine. We build a, we, no, we didn't build a, we just buy a wheelchair, put a motor in it so it can move. Then we demonstrate it. So, so it's really there. Come, start with a problem statement. And you think hard. We review different methods of doing that. Uh, all the methods require you to really uh, like invasive, drill a hole to the brain, measure electrical signal, but that's too too harsh. So we can, but then if you don't do that, the signals are very weak. But then how we can use that, then we come up with this method. Okay. That's just one example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So there's quite a lot of, you know, intersection collaboration between yeah. technology and medicine or you know right, right, in broader right. terms science yeah, like yeah. for example the da vinci robot so right. to what extent do you think technology has been a blessing for let's say the medical industry oh yeah definitely are there downsides to it no or you know well in any technology there's always downside and upside mm -hmm. right because okay. it's how you want to put them to use right yeah but uh i guess uh, uh let's think positive right it's always mm -hmm. um the intersection between healthcare is is really very big, right? Because it, and it goes both ways. What I mean is, for example, uh, how the robot can help the surgeon, right? Like the Da Vinci, for example. Uh, the surgeon is very skillful in operating, but the hands of the surgeon may not be as steady as the robot, right? Yeah, the tremors, right? So we can combine both into a human-robot collaborative system, which is what the Da Vinci robot is all about, right? So how can the robot be used to become the best tool? It's still a tool, right, for the doctor to cancel the tremor or to really plan the motion of the surgery itself because you can have sensors to plan the path. You can sensors to sense where you want the the end of the tip of the knife to go to in a very accurate manner right they even have uh, talking today about targeted drug delivery using robots right and these robots are not the traditional robots because small little uh, robots that go inside the body for example like what we see in the movies right so there's so the use of robots is really to get the best tools to help the surgeon 
so that the surgeon, even the surgeon cannot move as well as the robot, is still better than without a robot, right? Because the robot is, is can do of a steady, precise sound, but the surgeon has the intelligence to do the surgical planning. Right? So robotics helping surgeon. Now, the developments in biology, in medical, right? In how humans move, for example, understanding of the human physiology can also help robotics engineers. Help in the sense that with that understanding, maybe we can build better robots, right? Robots that can move more naturally like a human. How does a human move so nicely, so gracefully? We try to understand that and put it in the robot. So the help, the synergy between, for example, science, let's call science, not only medical science or biological science, and robotics or intelligence system goes both ways, right? Robotics help science and science help robotics too, right? Okay. Yeah, so just, you know, a follow-up, like you just said, you know how surgeons are more precise, uh, sorry, robots are more precise, yeah. whereas a surgeon may have, you know, those tremors. So, you know, there's some research suggesting that robots might, I'd be able to completely replace humans, uh, for example, uh, okay. in surgery. Yeah. So first yeah. of all, do you think this is possible? And second, do you think it's effective? Because, you know, as we know, humans and robots, they're not the same. We have right. empathy, whereas they do not. So what's your right. opinion on this theory? Yeah, I think uh, not in the immediate future. I don't know what will happen in the far, far future, right? <laughs> yeah. But whatever it is, I think the human will always be in the loop. The humans and robot will coexist. So there's no such, if they coexist, that means one doesn't replace the other, right? Because they're both there. But the difference is what does the robot do? What does the human do? How is this coexistence? If the robot does most of the things and human doesn't need to do anything, you might think it's already completely replacing human. No, because the human still needs to turn the robot on and off, for example, and the human will always expect more from the robot. And because the human expects more from the task, right? I want to do this better, whatever task that we need for daily living and we need for entertainment and enjoyment, right? To, be, to live mm -hmm. fulfilling life, right? So you will always think of, I need to be able to do this, but can I get a robot to do that? Let's say a robot can already do that, but you won't be satisfied, right? Because if robot can already do the things that you wanted to do, all your aspirations in life, mm -hmm. you will think of new things, right? You will raise the bar and robot mm -hmm. cannot do that anymore. Yeah. Right? So, so because of that, but robot can still do the very basic minimum. If you look at a yardstick from zero to one, Maybe now it's 50-50, right? The first lower 50 is the robot doing it. The upper 50 is the human, right? Then robots get better and better. Then it goes more 90, 10. 90, all the robot does, 10, the human. But when that happens, they will make it, my goal is not I'm 200. I want to go up to 200 now because mm -hmm. I want to enjoy more. It's like human never gets satisfied, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, and our satisfaction is what? 
what is our satisfaction? Is really achieving a goal? Yeah, that's part of it. But really, mm -hmm. our satisfaction is achieving and making new goals. Don't forget mm -hmm. the second part, right? It's the continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. So one day, robots may seemingly replace humans, but humans will still coexist. Humans will expect more, and robots cannot do, so humans will have to be there. And the role the robot plays changes, right? And this continues to evolve. And the good news is, as it continues to evolve, both from robot capability and also humans, how humans operate machines, I use robots as tools, as both of them evolve, our quality of life improves, right? Which is the main objective. Mm -hmm. So, well, you think that, you know, robots will never be better than humans. Like we will, they will always need us, right? Yeah, so just yeah. like- Well, it's, uh, it's not, not exactly that. There are some cases robots are better than humans, right? For example, that's why we work on self-driving cars, right? although not yet, right? Mm -hmm. But then, right. even they're better than humans, doesn't mean they will replace humans, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So if I just, it's like more of a casual question. Like, um, usually there are like these movies and they talk about how robots have completely taken over humans and they're evil. Like, what's your right. opinion on those? <laughs> well, uh, it's, it, from a scientific technical point of view, that's certainly possible. Right, because if you if you look at this, right, what's so special about a human? It's just our brain, right? I guess, mm -hmm. and our body, yeah. But we can certainly replicate that somehow. We cannot do that yet, right now. So certainly we can replicate that, right? So certainly that is not impossible. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's why there's all these movies, all these things theorized uh, explaining that. So it's hard to answer, right? What will happen in the future when we reach that stage, right? Uh, what? So I, I don't have the answer to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. but but the good news is that future is so far, far away. While it's interesting to think about it mm -hmm. as a curiosity, but there are more immediate problems we need to solve today, <laughs> right? That, that will make yeah. life of our fathers, fathers better, right? Yeah. Without mm -hmm. thinking about those things, right? Uh, yeah, there are just so many things that humans not ought not to do that robots can help us, right? But certainly, uh, there, if you look at that, there's nothing magical about it, right? Of mm -hmm. course, if you talk about the soul, the religion, etc., then it becomes hard to really debate on that anymore <laughs> yeah because even so right i mean uh, for example if the brain is dead does the person still have a soul right people will say yes but sorry right i don't know so i'm not sure but if, if whatever soul is in inverted commas right whatever that means or conscience that's also a function of the neural network in the brain right yeah we can even program robots of emotions we can program robots of empathy and, and, and show all these things. These are all part of uh, uh, what's inside between our two ears, right? So we can certainly mm -hmm. have a machine do that. Yeah. Um, uh, could you please leave a message for the aspiring researchers out there? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
it will be very nice if we continuously, all of us, not only you, including me, which I continue to practice, live life fully by observing life, everyday life, be observant and question, understand why we do things the way we do it today. Question it, why we do it that way and with the goal of improving how we do things and by improving it, then you can, life improves, right? Quality of our life improves. Improving it also means that uh, then you look at, you study what's available today in technology. These four things, remember? What are the different sensors? How you do decision-making, number two. Number three, how you act on it. And number four, continuously learn from it. So next time you do one, two, three, you do it better. So be observant in life, try to improve things, make things better, suggest new things. Doesn't have to be technology, even a new way of procedures of doing things, for mm -hmm. example, right? Um, for example, how we pay money, for example, today, right? You think it's good, right? We all use our applications now to pay. Maybe we don't need any more cash, things like this. And small little things like this, right? Yeah, and, and see, how we can improve it by learning how these things work and learning what can be done today and come up with new ideas and talk to people about it all the time. Yeah? I hope you agree with that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Yeah. That was a yeah. wonderful message. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, thank you. Yeah. I think that's all the questions we have for you today. Okay. Thank you for joining us. Thank you yeah, for the a privilege opportunity to. Thank you. And good luck and keep in touch. Thank you. Yeah.